Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Troubling Issues. This is a podcast about comic books, but it's for every human being on the planet. Every fortnight, we read a single issue of a comic book and do a deep dive on it. You don't have to read the comic yourself, but you can read along if you want to and if you can find it. The comic may be good, it could be bad, or it may be just a bit crazy, but it will definitely be noteworthy. I'm Brad Daniels, comic writer, artist, and fan, and this week's guest is comic retailer, artist, and all-purpose nerd... Paul Rua. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Paul. It's so great to have you on board. Oh, it's fantastic uh, to be here, man. No worries at all. Uh, you are one of the most knowledgeable pe- people I know about comics, so I'm very excited to have you on the show. Uh, I'd like to ask you very quickly, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm a lifelong nerd. I fell in love with stories from a really early age, watching um, Speed Racer and Space Ghost on and thunderbirds on television and okay, already i'm jealous because when i i grew up in bundaberg oh. and they only had one station and did yep. not show any of those shows oh uh, no so uh yeah no i got hooked real early and uh been pretty much there ever since cool uh rightio and i like to ask you what's your relationship with comic books in particular well, again, coming from that, that love of stories, uh, I basically, before I could read, I was in love with these kinds of, of over-the-top stories. And uh, because I was the, it was on television, you had to be at the right time, at the right space. And uh, as soon as I realized that you could buy them at the newsagents um, and, you know, read them whenever you wanted instead of having to watch them on TV when they were on, in the pre-Netflix, pre-VHS, pre-everything days, um, yeah, I was I was away reading um, anything I could get my grubby little mitts on. Cool. So you love stories, but when you realised yep. you could have stories at your own pace, at your leisure, yep, that's what got you hooked on comics. Yeah, comic books, man. Um, all kinds of stories, all kinds of images. Um, and I, I've, I've kind of grown up with them, you know, uh, as a kid, I very much read a lot of the Australian reprint stuff, which was reprinting contemporary stuff as well as vintage gear. As I've grown older and discovered comic shops, I've been reading more modern stuff, but I've also been going back and reading um, all that archival stuff from way back in the day as well. And it's just... It's just such a, the more, it's, it's a really, it's like a treasure trove. The more you dig, the deeper you go, the more you find, and it's just infinitely rewarding. 
Yeah, well, as I've said uh, previously on the show, the, the strength of comics is that it's just a medium. It's not a, yep. it's not a genre. So it can tell almost every sort of story, with the possible exception of a musical. And there have been attempts. I know, and I, they have not been very good. They've they've, they've meant well. <laughs> I think you uh, may, you and I may even be thinking of the same comics here. Uh, but uh, I did, we did talk a lot about Alan Moore in the last episode. But uh, yep. he's he is he is he is just he convinced he's convinced he can get it to work. He can make this musical comic thing work. Yep, he's going to give it a red hot go. He's done it many times. Yep. Uh, but that's beside the point. Yep. Uh, okay, so are we ready to dive into this comic here, Paul. Absolutely. Right on. Let's do it. Um, we are going to be looking at this episode, uh, Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 143, published in November 1971. And this particular comic book is edited, written, and drawn by Jack Kirby, with inks by Vince Coletta. Uh, so... That's the start. Now, this is the first time we've had a comic which has ha- had the vast majority of uh, the creative side of things being edited, written, and illustrated by the same person. Yep. Uh, and what? Who is? I'll ask you a question, uh, Paul. Who mm-hmm. the hell does this Jack Kirby guy think he is to be oh. doing all this work? Well, Jack Kirby is a singular imagination. He is a juggernaut of creativity. The guy is amazing in terms of output, in terms of invention. Uh, He has done it all. He's written gritty realism. He's written hard-boiled crime. He's one of the inventors of the romance comic as a genre. Mm. Um, And he created most of the... Uh, well-known characters from the Marvel Universe, which is possibly the most successful contemporary um, media franchise in the world today. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm sure Star Wars would like to have a word with you about that, but that is mm. that is like that is a, that is a tough. Qu- I mean, contemporary contemporaneously, right now. Mm. Marvel's bigger than Star Wars, I'd say. Yeah, but he's just like a, a, a fire hose, just launching amazing yeah. ideas. Yeah, so the thing about Jack Kirby is he was actually there at the start of the comic book industry in America. So 1930s and 40s, he he was uh, kicking around with his partner, James Simon, and they invented this little character called uh, Captain America. You might have heard of him. He had a few movies and stuff made of him. Uh, but he, he didn't sit still. He's been cre- the history of comic books from the 1930s to the 1980s is basically the history of what Jack Kirby did. Mm. Uh, yeah, I agree said, with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and as you said, he didn't just do superhero stuff. He he uh, invented the romance comics. He did horror books. He did uh, science fiction. He did weird like dream. Psychoanalysis comics. He did all sorts of stuff, and he never stopped pushing himself. That that 
I think one of the biggest pros that Jack mm. Kirby had that, that he never was content to rest on his laurels. Yeah. And, uh, well, he was always trying new stuff. And this, mm. uh, this particular comic that we're talking about here today, Superman's pal, uh, Jimmy Olsen is, uh, well, it wasn't a new comic when he came to it. Mm. Uh, he he jumped ship from Marvel Comics to join the the competition, which is DC Comics, uh, and he he started. You know, he said, well, the 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 apocryphal tale is that he said, "Give me your worst selling comic, and I'll turn it into your best selling comic." Mm. Uh, and so they gave him Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Which was, you know, about hijinks with Jimmy Olsen getting into trouble and Superman saving him, and he turned it into something completely different. Uh, so let's start with the cover, and we'll have a look at that. It says, "Okay, at the top of the cover, how would you like to see the smallest planet on Earth? See Superman's pal, the new Jimmy Olsen." Uh, and then there is a fantastic, like black light effect picture of a a Dracula and a Frankenstein and a Wolfman and some other creatures in the background there. Superman and Jimmy are in the foreground looking on a gape. What's going on? Uh, this really groovy effect. And there's a box that says the genocide spray, with uh, plus the Newsboy Legion, and in the rookie takes a rap. What, what can you say about that? Okay, what do you think about this cover, Paul? I it, it it again. It's it's what we were saying before. Is this this rush of ideas? Uh, there's Superman, Jimmy Olsen. There's these monsters swarming forth at them, and this weird black light thing. Um, and, and the Newsboy Legion. Um, you have opinions about the Newsboy? I. I am such a massive fan of the Newsboy Legion. Uh, okay, can, you, can, you, can you explain a little bit what that means? They originally started out back in the 40s mm -hmm. as, uh, as a take on the, the kid gang idea. Mm -hmm. And this was a big thing in movies with um, the Bowery Boys and... Um, I can't remember the name of their big, but basically it was the idea of like a bunch of tough kids who were in a gang who had scrapes and adventures and, um, the little rascals. Is that what you're thinking? The uh, little rascals. Yeah. That that's in the, in the same ballpark, but yeah, scrappy kids having adventures and getting up to hijinks mm. and, uh, the newsboy Legion were a group like that. A bunch of kids growing up in, uh, in the big city and getting into, into scrapes and, and troubles. And, and, uh, uh, they, it was this little exotic cast. You had Gabby, who was the talky one and scrapper, who was the, the, the guy from the tough kid from Brooklyn, who was pretty yeah. much the Jack Kirby author insert yes, indeed. character. Uh, Tommy, who was the sort of straight up and down point of view character, mm. and uh, Big Words, who was the kid with the glasses and the and the the two dollar vocabulary. Oh yeah, and the, the brainiac. Uh, yep, and there uh, there was a police officer called Jim Harper who watched over the kids, mm. 
and was secretly a superhero called the Guardian. And it was such a weird series because you had a superhero playing second fiddle to like a bunch of just ordinary kids. Um, which is so, such so a weird the superhero, idea. The superhero was the supporting cast for yep. these these kids. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite of, of Jimmy Olsen and, and Superman, where it's like, you know, here's a bunch of scrappy kids and, you know, their sidekick, uh, mm. this guy in a mask who fights crime. I don't know. We let him hang out with us. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, we've uh, well, no, we'll I'll hold that. We'll move on with the the comic. Uh, any other comics uh, comments about the cover before we move on to page one? I got I've got one comic about the cover, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to save it for the. Uh, the page two, two, and just a comment on page two and three, because oh, fair enough. Oh, it gets shown off in its in all its glory. We're doing teasers yeah. for pages now. <laughs> I love it. Don't hang around for page two and three. You'll mm-hmm. love that. Okay, so we have we start with okay, we start with some uh, a caption, some dialogue, and these are these are very interestingly worded. Let's say um, Jack Kirby. Worked a lot with Stan Lee, who is known for his snappy patter and his really, um, his really sharp dialogue. Uh, Kirby has his own uh, cadence, let's say, and it's uh, it's a bit weird. Um, I think his characters talk like no human being has ever mm. has ever communicated before. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's this it's this Brooklyn tough guy from the nineteen forties, this Depression era like guy and Jack Kirby was that and, and all that. And he's trying to, to talk like he's a, he's a hippie visionary. So you, mm. you, you're trying to bridge that gap between, between tough talk and depression era, you, Jimmy Cagney and Timothy Leary. And he's trying to sort of bridge <laughs> that gap. Yeah. Well, he, this, this comic did come out in 1971 and, Jack was not a, like an old-fashioned guy. He was always into new ideas and new stuff. He, uh, you know, he was growing. He grew up before before the war, and so it's all a little bit. It's all a little bit. It comes out a bit garbled, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a go. I'll read this first caption here. Of all our earthly involvements in aerospace technology, the one most overlooked was the ETAS. Extraterrestrial Atmospheric Simulation. In charge of it was one Dabney Donovan, a never-seen, brilliant, wild, wild scientist. Uh, Forgetting him was a mistake, for what Dabney hath wrought must not be rent asunder, or millions will die from genocide spray. Ah. It's so good. And I've never seen a man who, who was so in love with the exclamation mark. Oh, he loves it. And and uh, the, in, the inverted commas get a, a real workout as well. Yep. Uh, and the seemingly I, random bold text as well. Just it's, It is really a, its own style. Mm. Uh, I, it's going to be hard to resist reading every bit of dialogue that's written here. But we have... Uh, Superman and and Jimmy, uh, they're surrounded by looks like fog or eldritch energy. They're looking on once again a gate. Their mouths are open, 
uh, with disbelief at what they have seen. Uh, and, uh, you know, Jimmy says, oh, looking at it was, is a sensation with no known frame of reference, Superman. What are they looking at? We'll find out very soon. Okay, let's, let's flip the page. As, as teased, pages two and three is a double-page spread. Now, this, as a little interesting side note, is something that uh, Jack Kirby pioneered himself back in Captain America number one. Where they was the first instance of a double page page spread being used in a comic book, and he was such a, a master of it. His composition and his ability to use big bold shapes is just fantastic. And uh, these these spreads really show off uh, the sheer bombast of his work. Mm. Yeah, just he's beautifully. Like... Yeah, the design uh, that he puts into it is great, and we'll be talking a lot about that. Uh, so it's a double-page spread. There's a green, well, I guess from the dialogue, it's a planet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a little unusual in that it has horns sticking out the top of it. It has two devil horns sticking out of this planet. There are gi- appears to be gigantic movie car- cameras <laughs> orbiting it, and it's sort of reefed in spooky fog. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a really nice sort of like underground crypt motif in the area that they're in. It's Everything. got that lovely hammer horror oh, yeah. look to the background, and there's the the and that's combined with Kirby had a really unique view of technology, and the mm. technology that Kirby drew looks like nothing else that anybody has ever seen. Yeah, and uh, just the matching of of this backdrop with this technology and with this incredible vision, um, uh, it it really is truly spectacular, and it, it's the sort of thing that he was able to achieve with these two page spreads. Yeah, and it's like, well, I'll say on the technology, the way they fit together, they look like they. They could really be a thing that would that would Ooh. work, and I think we've seen this to a certain extent. Um, I was watching Thor, Thor Ragnarok, yep, a couple of weeks ago, and there's a lot of uh, techno techno designs and like designs in the Thor movie series, which is taken directly from Jack Kirby's uh, work, uh, things that are over designed and resplendent and just like uh, better than well, bigger than life, I suppose. Mm. And once again, that's what we get to see here. Uh, so, uh, Superman helpfully explains Transylvain, a real world. So I'll give the emphasis emphasis as written in bold: a real world upon which real people have evolved. Only Dabney Donovan's people look like. Sorry, only Dabney Donovan's people look like a cast in a vampire movie. And that tells you everything you need to know about what happened in the previous episode, really. Yep. Uh, Superman and Jimmy Olsen have followed a weird vampire to a hidden crypt underneath a spooky graveyard. Uh, yeah, but and, they had to go uh, to a they had to go via a Na- NASA installation yep. first because everything is science as well as magic with uh, mm. with Jack Kirby. And uh, they found. In this crypt, a mysterious evil planet 
and you can tell the planet's evil because it has devil horns. Oh, every time you, I hear it, it just keeps getting better. It's it's so weird. I this is why Jack Kirby is is the king. This is why who I mean, who else would think to do that? It's it's yeah. so bonkers. Well, yeah, you could imagine someone doing it as a lark. Yep. Uh, sort of like as a joke, but Jack Kirby would do it. And he would be, he'd play it straight. He's like, yes, it is a, a planet of evil monsters and it has horns and that's the way it's supposed to be. And you can look at it and go, oh, oh, you know, it doesn't look silly. Well, it, it looks silly. <laughs> but he injects it with such gravitas that you're sitting there and going, yeah, that planet totally has devil horns. Well, that's, of that's course why, it does. Yes, of course it does. I think this is like why... Kirby can be de, uh, divisive in some of in uh, in some people. So some people just can't like once you see the planet with horns, you're like this. I can't take this seriously. Uh, yep. Some people don't like the, his art style. It's very very yep. blocky. It's very stylized. Some would even describe it as uh, ugly. Mm. But I think it's not. Uh, I think the style he uses is very deliberate, and it's all about getting over the essence of things rather than making things beautiful and uh, renders rendering of the real world. They're there to show the essence of stuff, which, which is uh, being represented. He, he really loved to depict things as larger than life as uh, he really brought out the, the, the majesty and the mythic power of these things. Um, you know, he, he could, I mean, he could draw, ordinary looking stuff i've seen some of his more mundane artwork hmm. but he really excelled in in imbuing ordinary items with this mythic grandeur indeed indeed well i think uh i'm happy to flip the page and go on to the next page uh, yep. got anything else to say i think i think this is an image that speaks for itself I think so, which is makes the fact that we talk about it for 10 minutes a little bit ironic. Mm -hmm. uh, popping over to page four. Okay, so... So, uh, so Superman says, I think these machines are projectors, not cameras. Mm -hmm. And he speculates that someone has been projecting movies onto the planet where people are onto the clouds and the skies, where people on the world have be, been watching them, and that has caused them to take on the aspects of the movies that have been shown. And, of course, they've been shown horror movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. A world of living beings watching movies in their skies for generations and generations. And Jimmy says... Good Lord! <laughs> Through the use of horror movies, Dabney Donovan, who they talk about a lot but does not appear in this comic, has created a race of... Hold it right there, Jimmy. We can only stretch speculation so far. Uh, so he's... Superman has found a uh, statue uh, with a movable hand, which he pushes. Okay. And then we go to the second splash page, I suppose. Mm -hmm. A door opens and some some caskets jump out. Now, at this stage, we should probably mention that uh, 
we've had had a few pictures of Superman's face, and uh, they were actually one of the great ironies of this particular run of comics is that uh, DC trumpeted the fact that they had managed to uh, recruit Jack Kirby from Marvel. Mm-hmm. They got him on a Superman book, and then they redrew the faces that he drew because they weren't in with their house style. Yep, so, they uh, they they had a, an idea of how Superman and his friends and enemies should look, and uh, Jack's style didn't jibe with with that, which is a shame because I've seen the unedited uh, pages from mm-hmm. from Jack's. Uh, Jimmy Olsen stuff, and his Superman looks fantastic. Again, that mythic grandeur. But yeah. Um, yeah, I was actually yeah. looking at that. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes for this. I was looking mm. at that, and for for the life of me, it, his uh, Superman looks like. Uh, oh, oh, now I'm blanking on it. Uh, the, the Henry guy who Cavill, was in Man of Steel. Yep, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Yeah, he looks. Yeah. A spitting image of Henry Cavill. It's like he's yep. got the same the brow. He's got the so, intensity of it all. That craggy uh, sort of look that Kirby was really good at. Yeah, yeah. So it's like he was once again. Kirby was ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, so out comes these t- coffins. One of which uh, has the credits on it. Uh, in defiance of all the fears known to have marked my human existence, I can't resist the gesture of placing our credits here. Is a caption on the actual coffin where it gives the uh, the credits for the issue. There's some really cool looking, uh, uh, grody looking candles burning yep. at the, in the foreground. Uh, Superman and Jimmy are both sort of like legs, legs akimbo, like they're running towards these. These uh, coffins, yeah. Mm. And it, it, again, it's that whole—it's uh, this weird combination of of this, this transcendental psychotronic dialogue with this artwork, which is pure Scooby Doo. You know, find <laughs> the cre- find the creepy statue, push the arm down, spins open. There's coffins and candles and cobwebs. That's that's just glorious it is spectacular uh yeah it's really going for the gothic gothic look here so because we do i as one of the conceits of this podcast is that we look at one issue so i i did read the issue before this and i think you did too mm-hmm. uh and it was a lot of setting up the the atmosphere for this there was like a, a vampire appears and a lady is turning into a vampire, but it's all—it's all a different take on everything. Mm. It's definitely not played uh, the same as it usually is. Uh, yeah. Kirby likes to put his own spin on things. So let's p- pop over to page six now, and in the cu- coffin is Count Dragorin. Now, this was the vampire introduced in the previous issue. He was looking mm-hmm. for uh, Donovan. Yep. He wanted, wanted him for his own re- uh, for revenge or his own reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once again, Jimmy has picked up a candle, <laughs> getting into the, the spirit of things, and they peer over the grisly, uh, sleeping, undead figure of the Count. Uh, take a look at him. 
Take a good look at him, Jimmy. I think he's in mild shock. So what's what's your take on what's happening here? Uh, the this is an it's another big full page splash panel, and we're getting an aerial view, which gives us a lovely shot of the count. And uh, he's he's pure Kirby. Kirby's everything Kirby drew looks like Kirby, and he's got that heavy brow, and he's got the 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 the, the thick uh black shiny fringe and and the the beetle cut and uh he's got the spatulate fingers and it's all super dramatic mm. and uh yeah it's this top down view and you're looking sort of past superman and jimmy to the vampire in the coffin below mm. and uh yeah as i say it, it's this pure hammer but yeah. filtered through this this gloriously overblown Kirby style mm. and yeah it's very much his take on the tropes yeah so let's go to page seven okay so uh, it's just so hard not just to read his dialogue so, so uh, you know hey Jimmy there Jimmy is where we part company with with the vampire movie and dip into another bag uh, so yeah, Superman is basically saying this guy is not a not a vampire. Mm -hmm. uh, visitors rise from the planet, says Jimmy. Not like astronauts, but like frogmen. <laughs> and he mentions the Wolfman, and of course, as soon as he mentions the Wolfman, Lupus uh, Lupec, the, the Wolfman attacks. Uh, nice little like uh, action, like couple of panels of action. Jimmy is like uh, warning Superman about the guy might have some powers, and of course he backs into a Frankenstein. What? Mm. Uh, it's so great, and we get this wonderful. Uh, it's Jack trying to be cool and trying to trying to talk like the kids, and so you get this wonderful beat poetry sort of. Um, suppose these aren't coffins. Suppose they're like decompression chambers, and it's. It's so wonderful. It's it's. Uh, I mean, this is in 1971, mm. and he sounds like he's coming out of 1956, 57, maybe. Um, yeah, it, it's crazy. He's in nowhere. He's been yeah. a beat poet, man. Um, it's it's it, it's wonderful stuff, you know. And again, it's the sort of stuff that comes across as kind of goofy, mm. but. He carries it off because you know he's a hundred percent sincere. It's not done uh, out yeah. of mockery. It's not done out mm. of uh, uh, cynicism. Yeah, it's a hundred percent earnest. Yeah, he's fully committed. He's fully yeah. committed to the bit. He's like these guys. These guys are running into aliens who look like like uh, monster movie monsters. Yep. And let's let's flip on to page eight. Mm. Uh Okay, wow, Frankenstein takes a swing. Uh, at the moment, only Superman and Jimmy are talking. The monsters aren't saying anything. They're just uh, swinging and growling, as the case may be. Superman, it's a triple feature. Uh, uh, Superman, of course, throws the, uh, the Lupec, the Wolfman, aside like a rag doll because he's Superman. Uh and 
Uh, yes. <laughs> Look, moving shadows everywhere. This crypt is crawling with extra added attractions. Uh, so, yes. Newly arrived, newly arrived by traveling, traveling coffins. So yeah, it's not some nice moody, uh, moody coloring and inking on that last panel, mm-hmm. mm. and some just really good action. Uh, the 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 first panel with the the Frankenstein smashing his fist into the wall and Jimmy ducking out of the way. Kirby's action is so kinetic. It's yeah. Um, it's like a it's like a you have your Hollywood action films where they're all cut together and it's very hard to tell where is, what's going on where. Mm. Well, with Kirby, it's like totally clear what is going on, where people are, and how what's happening. It's and all the mer- moves are exaggerated. It's all big. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, if somebody's going to punch somebody, it's never a little jab. It's always a big, full full force haymaker. You know, and. Uh, it makes Kirby's stuff really exciting and really dynamic to look at. And like uh, when he throws the Wolfman into Frankenstein, it's like the impact is so great. It just blanks out. Their, their bodies disappear in the impact. Mm. And all that's left is a sound effect and like some force lines coming out from the tremendous uh, collision that has occurred. Mm-hmm. Okay. Popping onto page nine, we can we can get through this. We can do this, yep. Paul. I believe in you. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. So the count is awake. We have a nice close up on his eye. Uh, Jimmy and Superman notice they're standing on some sort of mystic symbol, which then explodes into a a uh, a I guess an, a, an atomic cloud and a, like a mushroom mm. cloud. There, uh, the count says, merely a micro bomb, my friends, enough to cause great havoc on Transylvania, but here a mere sleeping potion for you and sm- smoke clears and jimmy and superman are unconscious oh no mm. again this wonderful high drama it's mm. it's just beautiful stuff yeah and jimmy looks so peaceful there mm. just let him sleep okay let's pop over to page 10 and ah we have a change of scene. Uh, this is like a underground bunker where a man is on the phone yelling his confession <laughs> to someone. You heard me. I said it couldn't have been the Guardian because I, because Detective Jim Harper was the Guardian and I shot Harper, he yells. I'll say it again. See? You can tell he's a gangster. I shot and killed Jim Harper. So, uh, and standing behind this man yelling at someone about how he's killed Jim Harper uh, is the Newsboy Legion, the new Newsboy Legion. Now, this is Mm. different from the ones you described earlier. Yep. Uh, You might want to talk about that, but uh, I'll let you take it over from here for a bit there. Oh, yep. Well, the, the, uh, oh, there was a big story about, mad science and clones and and again kirby was really trying to get that kid um tap into what the kids were into Mm. this was uh and and again this was done with incredible earnestness this was uh this was not cynicism and uh he bought back his characters of the newsboy legion 
Uh, and they'd originally appeared in the 40s and we're now in the 70s. And what's happened is the Newsboy Legion have grown up and because of the influence of their, their guardian, Jim Harper, they've all become uh, young scientists working to improve the world and, and make make the world a better place through science. Again, oh, wait, Paul, I'm confused yep. because these are clearly not adult human beings that we're seeing here. Mm. How could they be boys if they've grown up? These are replica, cloned replicas of the Newsboy Legion, created by their uh, their original counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, this is this is Jack at his optimi- at his optimistic best. Mm. He's really going. You know, if we can if we can come together in good conscience and uh, and with all of the the optimism and and energy of youth, we can accomplish great things. And so he's he's basically contrasting the the adult grown up newsboy legionnaires who've risen beyond their 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 slum origins to to become respectable members of the mad science community with uh, <laughs> a new team of of kid adventurers. Yeah. So, uh, like I don't know. What's something like Star Wars? They're all clones. Yep. Yeah, it's fantastic. So they've stumbled upon, like, uh, through various hijinks, they stumbled upon this guy because they've been trapped in the sewers and trying to get out, uh, who just happens to be confessing to the murder of their their friend, the Guardian. Yep. Uh, and they they reveal that they're there. They stop the the criminal from grabbing his gun. And I love the fact that they hold a gun to the guy, some kids, mm. uh, and uh, yeah, someone was on the other li- end of the line saying, "What's going on?" And uh, how good is that first page? I mean, we, the first panel. Sorry. Yeah. We said before that that Kirby was really good at uh, at the mythic grandeur, with the the weird mystery planet and. And here we've got just this wonderful page, wonderful page of this underground room, and the, the the concrete walls and the bare floors and the the ventilation ducts and all this tubing and it's just it's so gritty and it's so magic. You can really uh, you can really feel the grime, can't you? You can just say this is this is one shady place. Mm. And it's it's a rare um, it's a rare detailed background because. Uh, a lot of these these ones don't have backgrounds because Vinny Coletta mm. was a big fan of cutting corners when he could. Yep. And uh, a lot of these these uh, after you, you establish the the after you do the establishing shot, uh, Vinny will just go ah that's enough background for him. The rest of them can just have you know flat colors or mm. or just just what we've got left. But this one's just a a, a beautiful little establishing shot there. Yes, it is indeed. I'm going to move on to yep. page 11. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so they got the gun on the, the baddie. Yep. Talk about poetic justice. If, if anyone was meant to capture you, it had to be your victim's best friends, the Newsboy Legion. But the the crim kicks out, and then like it, it's like he kicks the desk out the table over but it's like he set off a like a explosion <laughs> it's a force he's kicked it 
Uh, Everyone is flying backwards. Yeah. Uh, It's like another example of the dynamism of Kirby. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it as, if you're trying to look at it in terms of naturalism, it's absurd. Yeah. But because of the, the, the energy, the foot raised right up, the dynamic action lines, the table exploding, the bodies flying, you you buy it. It's uh, it's great stuff. Super cool. Mm. Uh, flip over the next page. Uh, Krim makes a run for it. Uh, said, you sleazy, no good crumb. We'll catch ya and hog tie ya this time. <laughs> Uh, which which of the members of the Newsboy Legion would that be? That would be that'd be Scrapper. That's the the, the Brooklyn tough guy. Yeah. Uh, look at your friends. They just hung up without saying goodbye. <laughs> uh, you gotta love it. Uh, okay. Uh, but the the guy runs into another room. There is a weird um, TV type contraption there. Uh, on that contraption, I believe, uh, stop me if I'm wrong. I believe that's Morgan edge that's appearing there. Yep. The, the, the mysterious new owner of, uh, of the daily planet where, uh, Jimmy Olsen and Clark Kent work. Yes, indeed. And he looks, it appears as though he's up to good. He presses a button on a little remote he has in my hand. The whole, the whole gizmo explodes and that's it for the bad guy. He got, mm. Yes, bombs. This joint was booby trapped all the time, and blam, he's done for. Mm. We cut back to uh, Superman, and once again, we can you can see in the Superman panel that someone has redrawn that face. That would be Al Plastino. Yes, indeed. And that yeah. moment in the crypt below Dark Wolf Cemetery, Superman feigned sleep. I'm of course, Superman. He wasn't knocked unconscious. He's Superman. Um. So yeah, he's like he's sitting there playing possum. He wants to hear mm-hmm. what they have to say. Next page. Oh, this is such a lovely panel because we got we got the whole the whole gangs here. Yep. We got we got the Mr. Frankenstein. We got a Wolfman. We got a female vampire. We got the Count. We got a mummy. Yep. And oh, they are right, in the process of, of well, I don't know. They're not torturing. Superman, because obviously this contraption, which is a spiky weighted thing that they're lowering towards him, would not hurt him because he's freaking Superman. But they're mm. trying to psychologically like panic him, so they tell him where this guy is. is that am I reading this right? Well, that's what it looks like. It looks like they're not trying to hurt him. They're uh... That they're, they're, they're hoping that he's going to be frightened enough by these spikes that uh, he'll spill the beans about Dabney Donovan. Every, the man that's on everyone's lips, Dabney mm. Donovan. Where and, is he? Uh, Where is he? And we get, uh, we get one of these guys going, we need to question him quickly. The hour of the demon dog draws near. Ah, uh, yes. And... Uh, and that's, I actually missed that when I read that today, and so things that happen later on make no sense to me. Sense to me, but that's okay. Uh, that will come to fruition in the time. Yeah, and we get we we're starting to get this idea that uh, we really don't know what these guys are up to at all. 
Um, yeah. he's, he's really building the mystery here. Mm-hmm. He was building it so much, I didn't know what was going on. Mm. So it was good. So Superman says, I wish I knew where he was. I'd go after him and bring him, in, bring him to you myself. So the next page... Superman has had enough of this. He breaks free. He can he can do that at any point. He's Superman. Mm. He smashed a rack with astounding ease. Um, and he confronts the, the monster people. Jimmy is tied up on the ground. Um, mm. and they threaten they threaten Jimmy. Uh, cool it. Leave Jimmy out of this. Uh uh by all appearances, he's out of it. So Jimmy's still out of it. He's still having a sneeze. Uh, and once again, uh, uh, Dragovic, I can't remember his name, uh, the Count, uh, mentions the demon dog. And there's a little back and forth. Uh, they start getting this idea that uh, they're on the clock here and that there's a... There's a, a, a a ticking time bomb counting down. Well, funny you should say that because in the next page on the next panel there, on page 15, the, the, the clock starts to strike as the bong, bong, bong. I love a good bong. <laughs> it's come as predicted, the sound of a tolling bell. No, no, no. The hour of mass death is at hand. The demon dog shall fly, and even the great wings throw their dark shadow across Transylvania. So it's everyone saying they're doomed right now. Mm. Uh, the count it was is particularly uh, particularly upset by all of this. Mm. Superman sees that they're like too distressed to help, and decides to take matters into his own hands, as he does. Here, a welding seam disguised as a natural crack in the stone. He reaches onto the ground with his fingers, which I imagine would go into the stone like clay. Mm-hmm. And before anything, before I continue this fantastic page, uh, continue to the next page, I should say. Oh, it's, it's picking up a pace. The, Jack Kirby's pacing in this is great. The way he cuts between scenes, he gives us these, these cliffhangers where... Uh, you know, oh no, everything terrible is going to happen, and and you know, Superman reaches down, and we're going to get the answer to the mystery when. Boom, we're back with the Newsboy Legion. I will say, I will agree with you on the pacing because we go from in a little over three pages, we go from Superman being strapped to a table and tortured to to him breaking free to them. The, the monsters losing it in distress to him taking matters into his own hands. It does go along at a fair clip. But mm-hmm. back with the Newsboy Legion, uh, yeah, they find the remains of uh, the poor Krim who got blowed up. I guess there's no need to chase him now. Unless you're all aiming, to, unless you're aiming to go where he's gone. Uh, yes. So they they. They show no regret. And then uh, Scraps remembers that he has something in his pocket. <laughs> which is? Uh, his feisty little Scrapper Trooper. Uh, yes. This is such a... This is... 
again, we're talking about Jack had such a weird imagination. Um, with the, the mad scientists, they create clones of the Newsboy Legion mm-hmm. of themselves as as kids. Yes, as, as and uh, and and our our Brooklyn character turned mad scientist has also decided to create a tiny action figure sized duplicate of of Scrapper yeah. as well, and it's just it's the weirdest freaking thing. Mm. Um, it is it is truly bizarre. Mm. Like a, he has a living copy, living miniature of a copy of himself in his pocket. Yep. And and sometimes it comes in useful. Like he'll send his little his little buddy down an air vent to explore or open a door for them or something. But most of the time he just sort of goes, ah, I'm glad I didn't kill him. I landed on my butt and he's. I thought he was dead, but he's as feisty as ever. And then he just puts him away. It's just it's just reminding you that you know this is a thing that that exists yeah we're, we're, this isn't this isn't your daddy's newsboy legion this is <laughs> this is in fact this weird sci-fi version of the newsboy legion mm. uh, and of That's, course sorry after you it's just such a it, it's just this this weird idea and it's almost like he hasn't figured out what he's going to do with it but he's just kind of gone oh yeah he's got an action figure sized clone of himself yeah mm. uh, What's he gonna do? I don't know. We'll just <laughs> just remind people that it's there. Yeah, yep. there you go. What, what um, do you mean? He's okay. Look at him wave, and then that's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, it is established on the next page. It's established in dialogue that the scrapper actually pointed to the air vent, so there's a reason for him to exist. Ah, there you go. And the newsboy legion crawl up through it. They find. Finally, they're on their way back to the surface. They make it. Uh, they're pushing the manhole cover out from a manhole, which they have come. They, but they almost get hit by a car honk as it goes by. And the car passes, passes harmlessly overhead. And they say they have to get back to the suicide squad. Uh, suicide squad. Suicide slum. Boy, what a, what a slip that was. Mm. Um, yeah, just like a little comedy bit, I suppose. Yep, but uh, but again, it's it's uh, it's it's dramatic. It's it's just this. Yeah, it, it, it's such a weird little insert. As I say, tonally, we've just had a guy blown up, and he's dead. Yeah, and they're there going, and he killed our mentor, and then it's like, oh, by the way, I have a little action figure sized <laughs> version of myself in my back pocket. They're, I, I may have forgot to mention it this issue so far. And then yeah, we suddenly have this um this this sort of visual gag. It's it's sort of Charlie Chaplin or Buster Keaton-esque. Yeah. With him sticking his head out of the manhole and having to duck down. Yeah. Narrowly avoiding decapitation. <laughs> which is always the best sort of comedy. Uh <laughs> Now let's go, okay, but now we've had our little digression. We cut back in the next page to Superman pulling the uh, pulling a block out of a floor. He streaks down a stair- staircase past some really rad, like, Just electronic gear. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. He's really yeah. filling that space with just gorgeous shapes and designs. Mm. And the, I think the colouring brings it out pretty well in this, this mm. uh 
this panel too. It's just like we got greens and pinks and light blues, and it's it's all. Uh, it doesn't. I don't know whether it brings it together, but it really makes it pop. It really. It it, it almost looks like it's blinking. Mm. The lights are sort of blinking on and off. That's uh, really makes it a, a really dynamic page. Yes, indeed. Uh, Superman comes to some great steel doors that are locked, but because he's Superman, he just busts them down. Smash. Smash. And there, in the next page, at the first panel, the demon dog is there. Uh, Now, this is an interesting page because there's not a lot of dialogue on it, but there's... uh, a nice juxtaposition between the uh, captions and the artwork. So uh, rather than just reiterating what's going on, it's sort of like it's a back and forth between the two uh, where it is explained what's going on without any dialogue. <laughs> and for, somehow Superman knows what it all means. Mm. This is the, 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 the big payoff. We have uh, this one panel of the this this weird gargoyle figure flying past uh, and then we're back in the the original chamber with the, the 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 weird crypt and the clouds and and the horned planet the doom flight is smooth and right on target uh and yes yeah, superman is hot on the track of this demon dog uh, yes, indeed. They they, cir- they are circling the uh, Transylvain, the horned planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the caption explains the deadly, deadly, uh, deadly rain that was to wash the planet clean for new experiments. Now the kill dive in inverted commas and a short burst of test spray. Superman says, and yeah. we see in this this is the first clear shot we get of the the demon dog. And uh, it, it's it's a machine. We can definitely see that it's it's a it's a robotic thing. Its its skin has a metallic sheen. It's got like a speaker and some weird nozzles inside its mouth, and it's launching this this chemical stream. And we get our first line of dialogue as Superman goes, "Got to stop him now!" That's and it. It's very dramatic stuff. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, well, next page, page 20, we're rapidly approaching the, uh, the end of his story. Uh, yes, Superman smashes the, the, the demon dog, but all that is shown in the p- panel is Superman's hand ex- surrounded by an explosion of energy. And that's all we need to know what's happened there. Superman doesn't mess around when it comes to robots. Mm. But, uh, so, but the the uh, the thought bubble <laughs> helpfully explains. Got to hit him so hard to uh, uh, as well, I, sorry, I can't read that right. So I'm gonna get going to got to hit him so as not to wreck him completely. I guess he doesn't want uh, the. The, the poison gas. raining down on the planet. Mm. And then Jimmy wakes up. What happened? He's yelling. Wow, what happened? Where is everyone? Uh, uh, 
crypt is silent and ever. He looks around and he fi- finds Superman looking through a microscope. And, uh, you know, it's all very spooky and moody. And Superman says, it's over. The cast is leaving. You can see for yourself. And there's a squadron of coffins descending on them, uh, shrinking and descending on the miniature planet as the monsters return to Transylvania. Uh, Which is a very weird sci-fi surreal almost ending to the whole crisis. They said, okay, we wrecked a dog. We're, We're all shrinking back to our weird planet that's sitting here on Earth. Yep, and we we get the final payoff as Superman explains the the whole scheme. Mm. Um, all these vampires, all these monsters, were the creations of of, of Dabney Donovan, that rat. Yes, oh and, uh, Donovan, having having done their their duty, he was preparing to wipe them out. Mm. And we get this wonderful shot of the demolished. Demon dog. Yes. And the, look at that. It's just beautiful. I mean, it doesn't look like any technology you've ever seen. Uh, um, I actually say, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna push back on that slightly. It looks like some sort of jet propulsion unit or something like okay. that. But for I, me, it, like, it, what makes it is like it hangs together so well. It does look like it, a functional piece of machinery that oh, has been wrecked definitely looks like it works it doesn't look like anything i I couldn't compare it to anything but it looks like it it Mm. would work right on so yeah superman explains the demon dog symbol of a destruction uh for donovan decided to use that i don't know this it doesn't make Mm. a lot of sense uh so he he used his technology to turn these people into a perfect replicas of classic monsters. And Superman helpfully explains, these pe- those people are natural copiers, in inverted commas. They have a fluid atomic base. After generations of watching sky movies, they became what they saw. So that explains everything, right? Mm. <laughs> well, you know... It all makes perfect sense. It does. Uh, I think, like many Kirby ideas, they're they're just they're ideas that aren't thought through completely, but they are. They definitely are interesting takes on things. Mm. Uh, so we get onto the final page of the story. Superman and Jimmy sit down in front of a projector. They're going to project a movie onto this. Pl- planet which is different from what's usually um usually their usual fare their usual horror fare and they both sit there crack wise as they're talking about there's going to be some good singing and dancing going on and superman says that's why i chose the only musical donovan had the sounds the solid smash hit whenever it played oklahoma (laughs) it's it's so uh it it it's so indicative of uh the strengths and weaknesses of kirby's stuff 
Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about his strengths. This is this, this mad inventiveness. Um, the idea that there's a that there's a scientist who's who's running tests on uh, ecological viability by creating micro planets full of micro beings that are alive and and well and 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 turning them into monster monster movie creatures for reasons best known to himself and uh <laughs> yeah putting them, mad science is for putting them on a on a planet with horn with devil horns in the middle of a, a hammer horror crypt and uh <laughs> but yeah it's it's kind of like by the end of it he's sort of oh but i'm done with that <laughs> You know, it's, um, it's one of those things with Jack that he had all these ideas that Mm. he'd, he'd, uh, he'd have one and you just go, Oh, this is such a good idea. This, this microscopic world full of horror movie monsters. It's like, I wonder, you know, where they'll turn up next. It's like, no, 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 no. Done with them. Yeah. Done with them. New ideas next. That's right. He was always moving on to a new thing. Like the, yeah. it, there were many dropped, dropped plot lines and dropped ideas, and like even in a single story, he could move from one idea to another and just completely discard what he started with to move Ooh. on to something else that he found interesting. And I've I've seen so many stories where he would have pages and pages and pages of background information on these characters, mm. and. Uh, You'd only get to glimpse just the tiniest sliver of them um, before he'd he'd sort of go, nah. He'd have this sort of creative ADHD where he'd go, nah, done with that. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, A great way of putting it. Uh, So then we have a very large, uh, like, next time blurb, uh, which is, oh, my God. It's like... This this is the most bombastic thing in the comic, and that's saying a lot. It's it's a third of the page. It's a yeah. full third of the page for a caption. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. Would you like to read it, or shall I? It it looks like a you know those those old timey carnival posters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or the B movie science fiction posters. Tremble at the sight of the dog boy. You know, it's all uh, really bombastic. Oh my god. And, uh, so this one, I'll, gi- I'll give it a go. I'll see if I can grab that Kirby syntax. Perhaps someday soon we'll all take a small trip to Transylvania and see the changes wrought by Superman's sub- substitute psychology. But right now we can't! There's a story breaking, rumors flying, odd tales and horrifying sightings concerning a big thing in a deep Scottish lake. <laughs> Assigned to investigation, Jimmy Olsen, Superboy, the Newsboy Legion in a never dead issue that becomes the living end. I mean, I can't. Oh, I have to. I sorry, I can't finish the podcast. I have to go read that right now <laughs> to find out what the hell is going on. How could you not? It's it's so overblown. It's so it's uh, it's it, it screams for your attention. It's glorious stuff. It is, uh, uh, and it really, it, and it's a bonkers story too. I mean, uh, but yeah, that's the thing with with Kirby is that that yeah, every issue is just crazy idea, and it just hits you and overwhelms you with it, 
and 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 then he just sort of jumps onto the next one. And, yeah. Um, Always moving forward like a shark. Absolutely. Now, absolutely. there's a short. Oh, sorry. Uh, there's a short two-page backup story here. Mm. Uh, so we'll very quickly look at that, and then we'll wrap up the whole the whole uh, review of the the issue. Then, so this is strange stories of the DNA project. The yep. DNA project is where the new the new Newsboy Legion came from, I believe. Am I? Yeah, I got that right. It's uh, yep. It's that's it's full of mad science. It's a wonderful. It, it's a really good uh, plot point for Jack. Because it is just a bunch of mad scientists working on a bunch of different projects. So it allows him to jump from idea to idea to idea. Yep. And uh, and some of it's fully formed and some of it's not. And you almost get the, the impression that this is an idea that he had, yeah. which he, he thought, oh, I might turn this into a, a full story, but I might just, uh, but, you know, it's just, it gives him the chance to to get these ideas out of his system to just throw stuff against the wall. Yeah. I like I like short stories like this, which is just mm. like thing. So, um, I I read some of his science fiction stuff from the nineteen fifties, and this is yeah. very much in the same vein. So, the alien thing uh, starts with soldiers fighting a, a DN alien. The first one the project has produced. They're throwing gas grenades at it. But it's still coming. It's, it doesn't slow it down. It's attacking. Its metabolism is accelerating. A burst of energy coming out of it and destroying mm. things. Um, the on page two, the uh, the switchboards are switchboards are burnt out. It's, it's producing tremendous power, and there's shock waves and earthquakes. And it rips a hole in the gra- in the earth, and there's a huge burst of alien energy that can be seen for miles. And then everything goes quiet, and the alien has expended all its energy and is burnt to a, a pile of cinders on the floor. Mm. But the point of the story is that this is merely the first DNA alien, and mm. the, the information they got from it meant that they could make more which would be able to live. Dun, dun, dun. And it's, it's just this, it's, it's this wonderful 1950s B-grade science fiction movie mm. uh, condensed down to the, the smallest possible. Um, and it, it's, it, and again, it hits on, and this is weird because it is, it is just two pages. But again, it hits on that idea that Kirby keeps coming back to at this point in in his work uh, for DC, which is the whole idea of um, adolescence. The the alien is described as an adolescent, mm. and he he's he's this newly created thing who's who's appeared. He's got powers he can't control, and he's he's. Um, they've they've realized that he's a threat and he's met with hostility. And this was a thing that Kirby would come back to time and time again um, in his, uh, especially in his 1970s work, where, you know, he really did have a lot of time for, for, for young people and he thought that they had this wonderful um, potential, but that 
so many times that they were they didn't they were confused by the world around them they didn't understand it they they were unwelcome um and their ideas were looked down on and um they were met with hostility and and they met this hostility with confusion they didn't know what was going on you could see it in stuff like uh forever people and especially in another series he worked on called commandy um yes. and it's, it's it's it really is um it, it it's one of the things that i look at kirby's stuff from this period and yeah i do sense the 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 wonderful sincerity and and this respect and uh admiration for his audience that he had yeah i think um uh, I can speculate, you know, because uh, in at this time, seventy, would he be in his sixties or something like that? Yeah, he, oh, he'd definitely be getting. He'd definitely be be getting on. He was, yeah, so forty. Yeah, and like the seventies, uh, like the late sixties and early seventies, was a tremendous time of upheaval in uh, mm. American culture and particularly youth culture. Yep, and. Kirby was not a fuddy duddy. He was not like he he liked he liked punching Nazis. He he uh, mm. and he he wanted to be modern and on. The, he was very interested in new ideas as, we, as we've established. So he yep. wanted to like it was his interpretation of what was happening in the world at that point in time, where like the flower people and uh, and the uh, protesters of the early seventies, you know, and how they clashed with the establishment. And I think that he sided with. He sided with the young people. He sided mm. with the protesters. He was definitely a very forward-looking, uh, forward-looking creator, and uh, you know he 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 didn't always get it right. There, I mean, he he was in at least he was in he was in at least his fifties at this stage. Uh, he was definitely a middle-aged guy, and uh, but he could see what was what was being done. And even if he didn't get the vibe of it, he understood the energy. Mm. And, uh, you know, he could see people looking forward to something better. And he could definitely empathize with that. So, a uh, quick fact check. Born in 1917. So, in 1970, he would have been 53 years old. Yep. Uh, as okay, I say, so... just so much energy. Mm. Uh, well into middle age, not as old as I thought he was, but no, uh, yeah, def definitely still siding with the young people in that time. Yeah, definitely. Incredible, okay. incredible creator. Just, just uh, absolute powerhouse. Well, I think we've done it. We solved. We solved Jack Kirby. Yep. Time, time for final judgments on this issue. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, 143, was it good? Was it bad? Was it weird? Or was it a combination of the three? What do you reckon, Paul? I, I have to say, it, it's... It... Some of it's a little dated. Mm -hmm. And um, as I say, some of it suffers a little from what I was saying before, how he'd he'd get an idea and rather than fully delve into and fully explore it, uh, he would uh, he would sort of cast it aside uh, or, or just sort of skim over it and sort of lose interest in things. But 
honestly, um, when I was reading this earlier, I, I didn't get uh, when we were doing it the page by page. I got a much stronger feel for the pacing of this issue. Yeah, and I really do love the way he 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 amps up the the mystery he amps up the suspense he amps up the the story and just at the the right moment he'll switch points of view to something else mm. um and I, I think that's that's some really masterful storytelling mm. and uh the ideas are just so so over the top and gonzo um yeah no i i think the only problem this issue has really is that it is the the second part of a two-parter and uh it really does help to have the other the other half with all the build-up yeah and the mysterious vampire yeah the mysterious vampire issue that is true mm. uh well so your so what is your call good i i think it's excellent i, I think it's a, a a great piece of uh, piece of comic storytelling. I think it's exciting. I think it's full of amazing ideas. Um, I think its tonal shifts are quite masterful. Mm -hmm. um, I just, yeah, I think I think the resolution is a bit rushed. Yeah, but that's probably my only real criticism is that uh, is that you can you can sense him going. Well, this was fun, but you know, we've got other ideas. Well, so. Okay, uh, I'll make I'll give my judgment now. Uh, <laughs> and I think, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Kirby can you, you can, can be very divisive. People either like him, they either love him, or they just don't care for him. Uh, and I I think I could see why someone who is reading this comic with a modern sensibility would go, "What is this garbage that I'm reading?" Yep. Uh, but I think I love, I love weird things. And I think the one thing that you will always get out, get out of a Jack Kirby comic is entertainment. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's always something in there to keep you interested. And even if it's just touched on and then for, forgotten is you can go, wow, just the imagination in this. So I'm going to call do a, do a combination. It's good, weird. It's both yeah. good and weird. Weird in a good way, not weird in a, uh, let's say, uh, uh, deliberate like way, but in a very earnest and yeah, heartfelt I, way. I think if you were coming at this looking for something naturalistic and with a, a, a very uh, a, a realistic storytelling style, that you're going to be, it's going to, it's going to knock you out of it. Yeah, you're really gonna be, quickly. You're going to be going away disappointed. Um, like, but I think if you can, if you can kind of sync up with with the 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 feel mm -hmm. of the comic, if that makes sense, if you can sync up with the the vision uh, yeah, and the vibe, yeah, with the jive, man. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, it's it's the vibe. If you can grok it, and you yeah. got it. Uh, I think uh, it's a hell okay. of a ride. It is a hell of a ride, that's for sure. Uh, miniatures, like horror monsters, science fiction, I, I don't even know where to go. Yeah. Um, so one last thing about this comic before we put it to bed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what did we learn from this comic? So, uh, you got anything, or would you like me to go first? I had the, uh, I the uh, I had one thing, and it's a weird, it's a weird, uh, uh, it's a weird. I, I've read this story a couple of times before, mm-hmm. but um, the one thing that I I, I I sort of clicked into, especially the the shots of the coffin. The miniature coffin spaceships flying off yeah. to the the Devil Horn planet yeah. was uh, I was suddenly reminded of um, the horror movie series Phantasm. Oh. and uh, Phantasm for for is is very similar to this in that it's full of crazy ideas which sometimes hang together and sometimes don't. But the, the bravura imagination of the whole thing means that uh, you can't not like it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it doesn't pay off, and sometimes it does. But yeah, that that uh, that's a link that I never, um, I never, I never drew before. Mm. And. Uh, and I think the other thing that that really grabbed me was, as I say, the pacing, the the way he yeah. he builds tension, and then cuts, and then builds tension, and then cuts. It's yeah, it's really. That's my my two takeaways from okay from this one. Very good. Mine is a little bit different, and that is Scrapper loves having a miniature version of himself. <laughs> the look of joy on his face when he pulls it out of his pocket, he's like, oh, I got the Scrapper Trooper. Yeah. It's like, he looks so happy. Yep. It's like, it's like the best thing in the world. I want a miniature version of myself now. That's, that's what I learned <laughs> from this comic book. I want a mini me. We have a question from the internet uh, yep. before we get into the wrap up for the episode. Uh, and this is a tough one, so mm-hmm. well, we've been going for a while yet, so we'll try and keep this brief, but it's it's a real can of worms, and that is, the question is, very simply, Stan Lee or Jack Kirby? Well, obviously, Stan Lee, uh, the, well, the self-proclaimed architect of the Marvel Universe, um, as he said, he never would never turn down a credit that was lying around. Mm. Uh, he and Jack were collaborators for many years. Uh, they did a 104-issue run of Fantastic Four as well as uh, co-creating things like the Avengers, uh, the Hulk. Uh, what else am I thinking of here? Uh, oh. uh, the X-Men. The X-Men, a, yeah. They, they took off eventually. Um, yep. So, the Humans, the Black Panther... Oh, Black Panther, uh, yes. Uh, so much like, so much creativity came from them working together. Uh, separately, Stan Lee was very blessed to work with a lot of, a lot of talented artists and also created co-created uh, Spider-Man and other things. Uh, Jack Kirby, when he went off and did his own thing, it was not as well received as when he was working with Stan. But I think there's been a growing appreciation of Jack's work, uh, his solo stuff, and the amount that he contributed to the creation of the Marvel Universe uh, since uh, since his passing in the 90s. And he's actually 
much much wider recognized as a more important force in the in that mm. uh, that particular creative process. But it's a question. I suppose we could just get it down to a. There's two ways you could take the question. Who is better? Which is like okay, mm. my 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 brother could beat up your brother, sort of thing. Yep. Or who do you prefer? Uh, Stanley was a consummate showman. He would he yep. would he would uh, he was able to sell himself and his comics. Uh, through force of personality, Jack was not a salesman. He was a uh, he was a draftsman and a creator mm. who put his, all his energy into what was going on to the page, not so much in uh, to garner publicity. Yep. So, which do you which what do you reckon? As a creator, mm-hmm. Jack is is streets ahead of yeah. of Stan. Uh, the work that Stanley has created without um, collaborating with geniuses like um, like Kirby and, and, and Ditko has been almost uniformly pretty awful. Oh, even Stripperella. Oh. Uh, opinions vary. But uh, <laughs> they don't vary that much, surely. But uh, and I, I'm sure there's like one or two people out there who will live and die on the hill of Ravage 2099. Ah, uh, you beat me to it, Ravage 2099. <laughs> but uh, mo- most of his creative output, like if you put Ravage 2099 against the run of Fantastic Four or or that run of of, of Spider-Man with with Ditko, um, then it it does start to look like Stan's collaborators did the lion's share. Um, with that said, it it annoys me. It's one of the things that annoys me about comics fandom is comics fandom is very polarized. There's got to be a good guy and a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And if Jack Kirby is, is a good guy, Jack Kirby is a tremendous creator. He created a lot of characters. He's an amazing draftsman. He's an amazing artist. And as I say, he's creative juggernaut. Then there has to be a bad guy. And that's Stan, this um, uh, two-bit charlatan who, who, who came in and stole all the credit and, and took Jack Kirby for all that he was worth. And that's not a fair assumption. It's not a fair position. Uh, yes, Stanley has been known to take credit on occasion without sharing. Mm-hmm. More credit than perhaps he was due. More credit than, yeah. However, Stan was a tremendous marketer. And I mean, as as you said before, um, Jack Kirby had been in business from the 1940s. He'd created um, Captain America, and he'd he'd worked in in the business for ages and ages and ages. But I don't think he would have become uh, the sales juggernaut he he was, and the legendary creator that he was, without Stan Lee grabbing his creations and shoving them in people's faces, you know, mm. and, and doing it in such a way that, that you wanted to buy into it. Uh, Stanley's salesmanship is, is, uh, 
second to none. Yeah. And when when he um when he sold the Marvel Universe, he was selling more than amazing ideas. He was selling an identity. He was mm. selling an ethos. He was selling an ideology that was about, uh, you know, come on in, join us. We're having fun. Uh, we're blowing the lid off the place. And, uh, and that it's infectious. And I, uh, and I've seen, um, there's stuff that, that Jack did, which is amazing. And which never amounted to anything. Um, because he he, had, he didn't know how to sell himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that Stan did was he he put a rudder on Jack. He was a tremendous editor. Yeah. Uh, as we said earlier, Jack would come up with these ideas. And they'd be like ice, they'd be like glorious icebergs. You'd see this thing and you'd go, this is amazing. But then there'd be the 90% of it, which was only ever in Jack's head, which he'd never get out onto the page. And, uh, and there's a, there's a, a guy called, uh, Mark Avanier, who is a fantastic, uh, raconteur and, and writer and creator who was friends with Jack for many, many years. And uh, he would tell these stories where Jack would come in and, and, and tell him about this amazing idea he'd had. Mm. And he'd see the, the final product and he'd look at it and he'd go, where's the rest of it? You, mm. I'm only seeing, you know, um, I think that, uh, you know, by himself that Jack would do. And uh, you know, you look at stuff like uh, like Commandy, um, like OMAC, um, like the Fourth World stuff, and they just blazed out there, full of ideas and full of potential, but they just burned out really quickly because he was just throwing all these ideas at the at the reader. Um, and meanwhile, you look at Fantastic Four, which was just idea after idea after idea after idea, but because you had stand there to occasionally sort of tweak the thr- the throttle mm. um he'd he'd sort of pull him back and he'd go okay so tell me more about these guys and yeah. uh and instead or of just he would appearing just make stuff up he'd say oh well, these guys are this and like yeah. jack jack would sit there oh, okay chewing on a cigar and move on to the next thing and, uh, and, and so you'd get a character, um, like the, the, uh, the Black Panther mm. who could have just appeared in two issues of Fantastic Four and then vanished never to be seen again. Um, but I think, you know, you, you, you if you recognize that this character has, there's more stories you can tell with this character and that you can build and you can grow and you can evolve, um so i think that together they're much much stronger than they were apart yeah i think that creatively jack kirby is uh a much more talented creator yeah than uh than stan lee but i think that that giving jack all the credit and and making stan the bad guy is is selling stan a little bit short yeah Uh, cool Okay, well, I'm gonna 
I'm going to come in with my answer. Yep. And you, you've given me time to formulate what I was going to say, which is fantastic. Thank you, Paul. Uh, so, Stanley and Jack Kirby, two great, two great tastes that taste great together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Better dialogue, Stan. Uh, better uh, imagination and ideas, Jack. Better, uh, better collabor- collaborator, I would say, probably Stan. Uh, who would win in a fist fight? Jack, easy. Uh, I think they both have their strengths and weaknesses, but yeah, if it's like, I'm going to go for the fist fight one. Uh, okay, so if you're asking Stanley or Jack Kirby, in a fist fight, Jack would just destroy uh, oh. destroy Stan in like uh, it would be it would be it wouldn't be pretty. That's all I got to say. No. Yeah, I'd, uh, uh, and I mean, as I say, just look at the the work they did apart. I mm. I'd rather read eight issues of the Nomac than twenty or thirty issues of Ravage. <laughs> Fair enough, but uh, well, well, we, we leave that there. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, I think we've pretty much definitively nailed that question. Uh, so we're we're rapidly coming to the end of this uh, podcast. Uh, very quickly, do you have any recommendations for people, stuff that you would like them to read or watch or experience or listen to uh, besides some Jack Kirby, this Jack Kirby issue that we just read? Okay, there's a... There are, uh, I, I'd like to recommend, and I'm... These are both going to be probably very hard to find, but uh, there's one, cre- there's two creators I would like to, to, uh, to give a, a a word a shout out uh, about. Uh, one is a woman called Linda Medley, who did a comic series called Castle Waiting, which is uh, all about what happens when the supporting characters from fairy tales. Um, what happens to the supporting characters of fairy tales while well, all the main characters go off and live happily ever after? Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's a wonderful series. It's 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 hard to find, but it's just this beautiful um, sort of. She describes it as a as a, a feminist domestic fantasy, hmm. um, and it's an absolutely glorious series. and And I just think it deserves more attention. Um, okay. and I'll always shout it out. The other yeah. creator is a British cartoonist called Paul Grist. Um, he did a, a cop series called Kane. Yep. Uh, he did a superhero series called the weird world of Jack staff. Yeah. His artwork is quirky as storytelling is amazing. It's, it's mysterious and it, it draws you fully into these wonderful, worlds these wonderful complex um worlds that he's created and uh he really deserves to be uh much much more well known both of these but i think that's what i'm really what these two have in common is they deserve to be much more widely known than they are excellent um oh, you so yeah a bit absolutely yeah i'm gonna recommend Something that is impossible to find. So, uh, but it is by Jack Kirby, um, which is his comic adaption, his adaption and subsequent comic series of 2001 A Space Odyssey. 
<laughs> uh, now this is like this is like the movie, the classic sci-fi movie, filtered through Jack Kirby's sensibilities. It is full of crazy ideas in a container which they actually make sense in. Um, I I found a few issues many years ago. I read them. I fell in love. I cannot get enough of this. If you ever get a chance to read 2001 A Space Odyssey, the comic book, either the film adaption or the original series of new stories done by Jack Kirby, mm. get in there and read them. They're so good and they will never be reprinted. Right up there with uh, his adaption of the Black Hole t- uh, movie. That is what I did not even know existed. Oh yeah, he started he started on an adaptation of it and they took him off it, but I think it got half done and it's never been published. Uh, so you check that out, search it on on the Googles, it's there. Mm. Okay, final final thing. We're almost there. We've been going for an hour and a half. We can finish yep. this off. Plugs. Plugs. <laughs> Do you have anything to plug there, Paul? Um, well, I'll just put in a plug for um the store that I work at. I'm an employee of Ace Comics and Games uh, at Annerley in Brisbane City. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I've been working there for just over 20 years. And, Whoa. Uh, it's, it's an absolute gas. I, I, uh, there is nothing I like more than uh, having the opportunity to uh, welcome people into the store and hear about what they like, what they're interested in, what what's making them happy, what's making them excited, and uh, having them come in and, and go, you know, what do I what do I want? Tell me, here's here's what I like. Tell me what's out there that's gonna knock my socks off. And uh, I will personally recommend if you do go to Ace Comics, Paul will steal you right. He knows his stuff. Yep. He knows he knows his comics. He has a, a tremendous breadth. It's not just superhero stuff. He he knows and, most and things. There is nothing I like better than introducing someone to something, which could be their new favorite thing. Yay! Uh, great plug. I'm going to do a plug now. Uh, I today, as we recorded this this morning, I sold the last copy of, that I had of my comic. Tales Too Stupid to Tell, issue number three. It's a comic book where I take old public domain comics, I blank out all the word balloons, and I add my own words and make them into very, very stupid stories with lots of dumb jokes. So my plug is for issue four of Tales Too Stupid to Tell, which will be out in two weeks as of this recording and will be available to order from uh, edgecomics.com. Uh, when you get to hear this podcast. So please buy my comics. They're good. That's it. <laughs> That's my plug. Thank you, Paul, for being with us for this uh, epic uh, podcast, this epic recording. You've been uh, at, at everything I'd hoped you would be. You've been uh, very eloquent and lucid and very insightful in your contributions. Thank you very much. Things I'm very rarely accused of. Uh, well, thank I'll you never do it again. very much, Brad. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. This has been an absolute gas, and it's just been great going back and, and rereading these old comics again. 
It's fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again, Paul. And that's it for us. We'll listen to you. We'll catch up with you at the next episode of Troubling Issues.